0: Welcome to the SF Weekly podcast. I'm Nick Veronin, your editor in exile, and I am joined by Veronica Irwin, one of SF Weekly's fabulous contributing writers, and today's guest co-host. How are you doing today, Veronica?
1: Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm doing pretty well.
0: Great. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, tell me if you heard this one before. I just got back from the mass vaccination site, and boy, is my arm sore.
1: I have heard that one before. Weekly listener over here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, uh, y- you are fully vaccinated. I hope that's okay to to tell people and Absolutely. Um, I'm proud of it. can you can you tell us um can you tell us what your experience was with Did you did you do a two two dose? You I got it before. Dose. Johnson and Johnson was kaput.
1: Exactly. I, I did a two dose and I think I did it before yeah. And I think I did it before anybody was even taking Johnson and Johnson, if I'm not mistaken. Oh. Pfizer and Moderna were definitely the only ones in my neighborhood at the time and, and the only ones I knew other people getting. Have I told you this story already? I don't know if you're asking because you know my ridiculous vaccine story. I
0: want to know what <laughs> I want to know for myself. This is all selfish. Like I like I want to know how much pain I should be in if I'm like being a wimp or not. Um, My arm hurts. But that's about that's about it. Yesterday, I felt like there were times where I felt a little weird, um, but then, you know, coming up next is the, the second dose. And I hear, hear that tends to give people in fever and stuff. But first dose, I think I'm, I'm, I can't really reach like high things with my left arm right now because uh-huh. like that, that motion is what hurts, reaching up above my head with my left arm. See I Tell actually didn't story. get
1: the the muscle soreness, but my story's a little bit ridiculous, like hi, Mom and Dad. I know you've also listened. sorry, um <laughs> I took too many edibles and was really, really stoned. I was like it, it was funny because I was like documenting it on my close friend's Instagram stories, so my friends were all watching me be like way too stoned. I was trying to oh, take man. these. This new edible that came out that's like 100 milligrams minimum. So you have to just start at 100 milligrams. Um, And I stumbled to the pharmacy because I was loading up on snacks and arms full of snacks at the checkout line. There's only like two, three people in the store. Uh, They say, hey, is anybody over the intercom, you know, has anybody in the store not gotten vaccinated yet? We have extra doses and we're waiting for the on-call people to come in. And they vaccinated everybody in the store. And I was nice. sitting there, I was like messaging the social media uh, person from this company, Kana, being like, your edibles got me a vaccine. <laughs> just, so it just wasn't
0: ridiculous. like, it wasn't like a, a, one of those vice, vice articles where like, you were like, I got so high and got the vaccine. It was just kind of, well, I mean, it was, but it was I wasn't was in like... a
1: daze and confused and like, how the heck did this happen? I didn't even look for it. It was, it was mm. by total chance. And, um, and.
0: For anyone who who doesn't know, Veronica is our cannabis writer. So you know, she's 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 she's, it's her job. Okay, it's her job. She's not a slacker. This is my job. I
1: was trying to see if these things were really as (laughs) strong as as they say they are, and they are. Um, But yeah, and I didn't get a lot of muscle soreness. Actually, I had pretty much no side effects other than being kind of felt like when I had mono a couple years ago. Like I was just tired but for no reason like I didn't feel sick otherwise for a couple days after my first shot okay that was the first shot okay first shot second shot completely knocked me out not to make anybody more nervous than they need to be I would rather be very sick for 48 hours than to have COVID. but like 24 hours I had the worst flu I had had in years and then suddenly started feeling very better and very much better and then like had mild cold symptoms for like another day.
0: Well, yeah. And I I guess what I would say is like, um, not to minimize the flu in people who've been sick, but like, and, you know, not everyone's had this experience because, you know, journalist here, uh, and I fall into one of those tropes of sometimes uh, overindulging on booze, like it's just a really bad hangover. (laughs) It's a really, really bad hangover. If you've had a really, really bad hangover, maybe, you know. Maybe you'll deal with it a little bit better. I don't know. That's my It theory. wasn't
1: too bad. I just kind of enjoyed the excuse to sleep all day. I got cool. my shot on a Saturday, so I just slept all day Sunday.
0: Is that a Fiona Apple song that's like, or Andrew Bird, or maybe, like, sometimes I wish I'd get cancer so I could watch TV all day. Pretty macabre.
1: I am not familiar with the lyric, but I wouldn't be surprised if it is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, okay. Uh, you know, and you survived? And, you know, like you said, 48 hours, way better than, um, you know, ending up in a hospital or, you know, worse or, you know, not quite so bad, but or long COVID or or one of those many things that could happen. So, yeah, public service announcement, get vaccinated. The first shot isn't too bad. I can attest. I'm feeling much better today. My arm's a little sore. That's it.
1: There's also just the emotional wellness thing. Like, that's what I've been telling everybody is like, I don't know how to explain it, but I just feel better than I felt in months because... I can actually, I hang out with a couple of vaccinated friends. I haven't really hung out with too many unvaccinated people or or had to, mm-hmm. um, but even that just feels like so liberating and just walking down the street and not being terrified of people I walk past, which I'm sure we'll talk about. You can't really get COVID briefly walking by anyone anyways, but I would always be terrified and panicky and like, it feels so much better yeah. knowing that you have that layer of protection.
0: Well, I do want to talk about that because, and that's a great segue. Um, more and more people are getting vaccinated. Spring is definitely in the air, although we're getting some spring showers this weekend, according to that shadowy global cabal I saw of that. <laughs> elite scientists known as weathermen and women. Um, but I was, <laughs> what was I saying? Oh, yeah. So people are getting people are sick. Um, people are people are getting vaccinated getting sick less and people are getting sick of wearing masks especially outdoors and there was a recent story in the chronicle last week i talked about sf gate god i'm giving giving you guys so much so many clicks um, <laughs> qu- uh, qu- this chronicle story quoted dr monica Gandhi, uh, a very early mask proponent who says she thinks it's okay to not wear masks outside others other experts other in the health field disagree In the grocery store, though, she says, yeah, of course, at the DMV. Yeah, of course. Um, If you have to be inside with someone, you know, from outside your bubble. Yeah, of course. But outside, she's saying you could you could be free. Um, Mm -hmm. What do you what do you think now as a as a fully vaccinated person? Just, you know, just taking your temperature here.
1: Um I'm sure it has something to do with the fact that I'm vaccinated and less personally terrified <laughs> just mm-hmm. because the covid anxiety really did set in pretty deep with me yeah. and I was very paranoid and very scared. Um I mean I am more and more of the mind that harm reduction approaches that allow us to do some low risk things so that we can focus our energies on the high risk things is Uh is a smart approach. Um, A couple of months ago, I probably would have been like, very skeptical of people saying that they needed to loosen up and saying that they needed like a release i would have been like shut the shut the f up You don't know <laughs> if i curse
0: you could curse i probably would have
1: been like shut the fuck up and and suck it up like you're not dying you're not disabled you are not over 65 or otherwise yeah. high risk like suck it up like you don't need to see your friends now i'm more and more like you know we gotta let people do something so that they actually protect themselves in the most serious of circumstances. And also like most of the science that I've been reading, I I feel the journalist stereotype of really delving into bad news and reading everything possible. Uh, that's skeptical of, of, you know, where the coronavirus pandemic is going. Um, and even the most skeptical outlets seem to be more and more saying that like outdoors is probably okay. You can't really get COVID briefly, briefly, um, walking past someone on the street. Right. If you're talking to them for less than 15 minutes, you're probably cool. So yeah.
0: Yeah. That's sort of how I feel. Um, I'm sure that's not how everybody feels, but that's interesting. You use the word, uh, the term harm reduction. um, Cause I think maybe earlier in the the pandemic, you might've used based upon what you just told me, you might've used it in a different way, which is like wearing the mask is an inconvenience, but it is, it's, it's harm reduction. um, Yeah. At all times, like, you know, we're just being overly cautious or whatever. Um, But now, you know, mental health is, is something else to consider. And also like, I guess, you know, n- there is this danger of people feeling getting, getting jaded. I, this is a hard yeah. needle to th- thread to, how do you say that needle to thread?
1: Needle to Anyway, thread. you know
0: what I'm talking about? <laughs> like, like if, if the government is so crazy and in your face and like the people know that some of what they're saying is bullshit or, or over the top, like more chance that, Maybe there's a chance, not maybe more chance, but there's a chance that people can just stop, start ignoring everything. Mm-hmm. Another, another segue. <laughs> people good to...
1: or are they already? I mean, like, look at, <laughs> yes. if, if you saw Dolores Park on Tuesday, you would say right. a lot of our, our fellow San Franciscans are giving up already, even though that's not the... the primary narrative
0: <laughs> yeah i think what i'm trying to build to here is um i touched upon this in this week's letter <clears throat> from the editor uh there were a few articles i saw uh, in my apple Newsfeed, um which is a subject for a whole other podcast about the things <laughs> that i get served on my apple Newsfeed and how it affects uh-huh. my, my thinking but um <laughs> uh these were pieces in the national review uh and on the wall street journal's opinion page both known as conservative um you know maybe not maybe not um they're
1: not fox but they're
0: not yeah they're not breitbart (laughs) or something but like yeah um and you know they're saying californians are leaving california because they're fed up with california and they're fed up with taxes and they're fed up with the nanny state and all that and so the the point that i made in that piece um was like i get it um some taxes in california are crazy especially compared to other states like when you start doing the the math um i just got back from a much needed ski trip in montana where i was and and i went to a bar and while i was inside i wore a mask no one else was wearing it (laughs) but um, of course like and then we and then we ate on the patio or drank on the patio and like in Montana, I like looked up, at the, and I looked up at the menu and it was like one of those menus a lot of bar, uh, craft beer places have where it's like a TV and it has like a ton of stuff and uh-huh. it's like yeah. information overload. And I'm like yeah. reading it and I'm like, oh, the prices here are pretty much like California prices. I get back, I, I, I look again when I order my second beer and I realize the $11 wasn't for a pint, which I'm used to, $11 was for a growler. I was like, wow, they're this,
1: drinking heavy in Montana.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is Montana, right? Fucking <laughs> cowboys. Um, and it was Yeah, it was, I mean, it, in the in the beer was just like four bucks or five bucks. So hmm. I get that. But it's a point that I also make that like, being on the right side of history is hard work, requires a lot of policing, you know, a lot, not not pol- uh, law enforcement, but like, you know, uh recycling like make sure you recycle make sure you you know aren't a racist make sure you're not um a perpetuating bullshit john wayne philosophies aka toxic masculinity and trying to do something about the environment so my conclusion was uh i'm proud of my san francisco values and i wanted to see what you think about all of that. <laughs> that was a big long wind up i mean do you ever they like agreed. feel like, like uh, you know, governmental overreach, y- you feel it sometimes in San Francisco where you know you might not feel it some other place, maybe even some other place in California, but, like, it's worth it a lot of times?
1: Well, I mean, I think ultimately everybody loves that, that phrase, doing the work, and I think that's a real thing. I think um, there's a lot of – when we talk about social justice issues, there's a lot of, like, things that we are – taught growing up almost subconsciously by the society we live in. And that takes, and writing those wrongs takes a lot of unlearning, which takes a lot of work. Um, and then on, I mean, on a lot of progressive issues, it, it takes work, like you say, recycling and stuff like that. I would say sometimes when it takes so much work, like recycling, that's maybe the the fault of our systems for not yeah. being more Other efficient. Sometimes don't... we put too much pressure on the individual. I would say that as well. But um when it comes to this tech exodus, I can't help but roll my eyes. Tech, access, tech exodus, SF exodus, similar phrases. I think it's kind of describing the same thing. It's like uh-huh, this weird uh-huh. elite that we have that popped up about 10 years ago in this city that is yeah. supposedly leaving. I think a lot of that is bullshit. And I think a lot of <laughs> other folks that are in into tech reporting and read a lot of tech reporting and talking to a lot of people in the tech world would say that as well um i can't say too much because my friend who lives in this apartment complex would kill me um but there is a very famous investor that's very into tech and has been very vocal about why he's leaving and selling all his properties and stuff out here and you know Uh everybody's leaving there's no opportunities in the bay area and guess what he just bought an apartment in my friend's soma apartment complex (laughs) and is like Very much, you know, there's, I can't get into all the details, but clearly is going to be living there at least sometimes, at least somewhat part time. Um, So, and and paying
0: taxes. I mean, maybe not all, maybe if it's not his uh, primary residence, maybe, but you know, at least property taxes or whatever. Yeah.
1: I mean, like, I think a lot of these guys. Are trying to move their finances maybe to other places where there's yeah. lower taxes, but they they still kind of sticking around out here, and they're still spending a lot of their time in the Bay Area. And it's beautiful. It's kind of
0: uh, <laughs> well, that not not the what they're doing is beautiful. is beautiful. The area is beautiful as is well. The I area like,
1: is beautiful. I think what they're doing ultimately is like getting everything stupid, they can ugly. out of our neighborhoods and out of our yeah. our city and giving as little back as possible. Um, yeah,
0: they're but establishing. I, I mean, a- an address, uh, you know, at Mar-a-Lago or something right. like that.
1: <laughs> right. It's, I mean, I just, I'm very skeptical that it's as big a deal as as it's sometimes reported as.
0: All right. Well, yes, Veronica also does uh tech reporting. Um, she's a freelancer and, uh, she knows about many things. So I trust her she, <laughs> giving us the inside scoop. Well, Hey, um, I want to thank you for joining us. And, um, I want to set up our next segment, which features Veronica Irwin. And I would set it up, but I'll let Veronica set it up.
1: Yeah, it's an interview with Andrew D'Angelo that I felt very, very fortunate to be able to do. He had me over to his beautiful Oakland home. We got to spark up a joint in his backyard and talk about policy and business in cannabis. He is a big cannabis activist that has been in this fight for over three decades. He and his brother, Steve D'Angelo. So very exciting stuff
0: very cool all right well uh stay tuned we'll be right back um with veronica's conversation with andrew d'angelo
1: Hi there this is veronica Irwin, freelance contributor for sf weekly today i'm honored to be here with the cannabis activist andrew d'angelo in the backyard of his oakland home so if you hear any wind that's why he is a genuine cannabis pioneer in every sense of the word and he and his brother steve d'angelo have been activists in the cannabis legalization fight since the 1980s for one he and his brother co-founded harborside a very well-known chain of dispensaries and farm They were one of the first dispensaries out here in the Bay Area and the first dispensary to institute lab testing for product. So just all around a true leader in the legal space. He also co-founded The Last Prisoner Project, which is one of the leading cannabis criminal justice reform nonprofits, busting people out of prison and leading campaigns for policy reform. And he's also an industry consultant working with all sorts of equity and mission driven brands, as well as heading up the California Cannabis Industry Association. These are only some of the various titles and accomplishments that he's gathered over the years, but it's by no means a comprehensive list. And lucky me, I get to have a conversation with Andrew today about the current state of weed here in California, the policy side and the business side, and smoke some weed too. So thank you so much for coming on the show and for having me into your home, Andrew.
2: Thank you, Veronica. And uh, I just want to shout out to Tahoe Herb Collection Perp's joint. I'm smoking, it's quite good. Got that yesterday at 420, and to be clear, I'm no longer on the board of the California Cannabis Industry Association, Um, so I I don't have an official role with them anymore, but I was a co-founder and on the board uh, and was treasurer and vice president of the board at one time. So all my policy work I'm doing now, with the exception of Last Prisoner Project, is is as a private citizen, <laughs> but but I know, know. we're going to talk about policy, and I don't want our audience to think I'm representing CCIA because I'm not.
1: Absolutely, thank you for clarifying that, and and thank you for shouting out the weed that we're smoking. Obviously, an important, uh, important part of this. Um, so just to kind of start, I mean, you just wrote an op-ed um, for Forbes about the Gavin Newsom recall and Prop sixty four reform. And why Gavin Newsom needs to pay a little bit more attention to Prop 64 to get your vote in this recall election. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? I think a lot of recreational users just think, Prop 64, that's why I can go down the street to a cannabis dispensary. We love that law. What's wrong with it? And they don't really know a lot about the nuance and and this debate. So can you explain that a little bit and and why maybe... Uh, californian voters should consider it
2: sure well i think that consumers that may not be aware of all the policy nuances of 64 and why we need to reform it do know that weed is really expensive and dispensaries in california and any legal retailer whether it be a delivery or dispensary weed is much more expensive than it is in the traditional market or the underground market and this gap in pricing is problematic, and therefore 75%, even four years after the passive, passage of 64, 75% or maybe a little more than that, of all cannabis transactions happening in the state of California, are happening in the in the traditional or underground market because the price of the weed is either is too expensive or local municipalities and elected officials have banned cannabis in basically half, 60% of the land mass I think is banned and about half the population is banned in California. So if you don't have legal access to weed, you're gonna go to the traditional underground market and and lose that market share. And, And of course, if you have access and the price is really expensive and people are heavy consumers of weed like I am, uh, literally, to buy all the weed I consume in a in a year at a dispensary would cost over a hundred thousand dollars. Mm. So, and people just can't do that. I can't do that. Um, so even I can't uh, do it either. Right. <laughs> so, so this is the fundamental problem with sixty four access and price. So, we need to reform sixty four. We've been at it for several years. As when I was on the board of CCI CCIa, we worked on it for three years. We had great bills we ran. We had some we couldn't get it through Sacramento and one of the big reasons is the governor either Jerry Brown and then Gavin Newsom just refused to lean into it. They have to lean into it. They have to say we need reform. They have to they have to whip the votes. Mm-hmm. Okay? You have to whip the votes. That's what governors do. They whip the votes when they really want something done. They go into the state house and when you have a supermajority, one party rule that we have in California with the Democrats, it should be able to get done.
1: Well, I want to follow up on that a little bit, too, because I think you're talking about how we need to roll back back the taxes and the local control. Um, I think a lot of lay consumers, when they think about what's wrong with the cannabis industry and specifically like why the cannabis industry is not as equitable as it could be, They think about it in this very simple, these very simplistic terms of there's a couple of big players with investors behind them that don't know anything about weed. But you have these big businessmen, the suits, I believe you call them oftentimes, um, that are kind of just sucking up all the oxygen. And that's why nobody else can can get bigger. And they worry, you know, when you talk about, I suppose, deregulating it ever so slightly, rolling back taxes, rolling back some of the local um, control. Is that not just catering to to business interests, right? And obviously, you know, you're tied to a pretty large business here in California. So why is it not just about big cannabis businesses versus the little guys?
2: Well, it's a very important question that we need to ask and a very important problem we need to solve. And no one person, including me, has all the answers. But we have to start with what is our commitment? What is our commitment and yes, big businesses will exploit lifting local control and will exploit reform, and they, they'll, they'll do what big businesses do and they'll try to create monopolies um, and they'll try to build moats around those monopolies. We simply have to stop them from doing that. Um, and whether you do that with laws and regulations, which we have done, the social equity activists have been brilliant um, and they continue to be brilliant. And we must continue <laughs> that That activism and I support that activism and help that activism as much as I can, you know, given who I am and, 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 and all that, but, but that's. The suits and the stoners is, is how I classify them. Stoners are not just white Gen X guys like me. They're people of color. They're people in prison for weed. They're LGBTQ people. They're all the creative musicians and people that have been locked up and, 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 and hunted for trading in this plant. These are whom I call the stoners. Some people call them the roots. Um, uh, and then the suits are, yes, the investment, the bankers, the publicly traded, the corporate cannabis Um, We all need to build bridges together and build this industry together. The ecosystem has to be a level playing field um, that allows for all this vibrant activity with small, medium and large companies. We should mandate diversity. Yes, I believe that we should mandate diversity uh, in the industry, particularly with people of color. Uh, And we and that's going to be hard because those mandates will be challenged in court. But we have to take those efforts, and we have to take those measures, and, and we have to figure it out. We, we, we haven't figured out social equity very well from a public policy p- perspective. Look at LA, you know. Look at the disasters that have sure. happened all over the country with respect to social equity frameworks not being developed very well, and 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 money not being distributed uh, quickly, and and that's being collected for this or fairly um, in many in many regards. So. And there's been some corruption where, you know, bigger players have come in and bought licenses from equity people or, or cut deals with them that were predatory. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's been some bad behavior. Uh, so so it's really complicated. Yeah. Our, our, everyone wants to put everything in black and white and blame the suits for everything or blame the stoners for everything. And you know what? It's just not true. We have an absolutely moral obligation to make sure that the people that were hunted and destroyed by prohibition have their spot in the industry it doesn't need to be the dominant spot it probably can't be the dominant spot how many of us are there they're you know in the global world of cannabis that's a renaissance that's just dawning now. There's seven billion people on earth. They're all going to have cannabis in their medicine cabinet. They're all going to have cannabis in their belly, and they're all going to be in a building and drive down a street that has cannabis in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we have to build that world. And we can't do it without the suits. I'm yeah. sorry, we can't. Um, and they can't do it without us. All right. And what we're really good at, we build community, we are really good at ESG, we're really good at sustainability, we're really good at craft products, we're really good at connecting with the consumer, I think we're going to be really good at consumption models and hospitality mm-hmm. models, um, and then, you know, what are the suits going to be good at? And, you know, and let's divide the kingdom, right, um, right. because the, once you tear down the walls of prohibition together, and we're not doing it together, the suits, uh, if, we, if we were more aligned, we could reform 64.
1: Let's talk about that equity that equity piece a little bit. What describe for listeners like what that pipeline looks like for people that are coming out of out of prison for a nonviolent cannabis offense and want to enter this industry. Obviously, you have some uh, personal experience with that. I would imagine that's <laughs> yeah. essentially your brother's story, <laughs> but I, I would um, imagine yeah. it looks a little different today now in California. I mean, how different does it look really? And
2: well, my brother yeah. and I are white, so our story was different uh, than, than people of color and, and black people, so the devastation that that bust had on my brother and our family, which, and it was devastating.
1: Can you summarize it really quickly sure. for the my, listeners who uh, might not uh, know that uh, story?
2: Shortly after the millennial turned, 2001, January 2001, my brother got busted with a very large amount of cannabis, over 200 pounds of cannabis. And um, when you get busted with that much cannabis at that time on the East coast, you're looking at, you know, decades in prison. So we had to fight that legal case. And some things happened during that case that were terrible and tragic and co-defendants of my brother died uh, in 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 the course of that case and 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 in, in one of one of those people were was someone we Loved and and worked with for a long time and was a mentor of mine. So it was devastating My parents were elderly. It was devastating to them uh, We had to mortgage my mom's house. We had to my dad had to come to the rescue and mortgage his house the legal bill was six figures Uh, and thank God we had that, you know, we had the, those parents and they had those assets. If, if we didn't, my brother might still be sitting in jail right now. Mm -hmm. If, if those, you know, if the legal case had gone a little differently than it did, my brother might be still sitting in, in jail right now. So there was a lot of tragedy involved in that. And it's always tragic and it always devastates the family when you get busted And that's why we started last prisoner project. And that's why we've always had activism with our prisoners. We've at harborside, you could come in and write a letter to a prisoner and we'd give you free weed in exchange for doing that, that we did that all through the 215 program. 64 doesn't allow for that. That's one of the things that we need to fix. Um, uh, we did actually fix that, but not as well as I wanted to, but we did fix that last year. Um, uh, uh, and so.
1: So So what does that pipeline look like for people now now, today in California?
2: Now, when you get busted, um, it's a little it's still devastating and still bad. Even in in California, there's 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 call them the stoners that are unlicensed that are getting busted. And sometimes it's a smash and grab and you don't go to jail. Sometimes you do. And then, you know, if you get convicted and you do time, uh, you have this record uh, and that makes it very difficult for anybody that has a felony record of any crime. It's very difficult to get a house or go back to school or get a job after that. And so last prisoner project and a whole bunch of other groups, there's a lot of social justice groups mm-hmm. in cannabis now, um, doing this work. Um, and please, it's important that, 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 that everyone know that last prisoner Project is not the only group doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, so we try to help people reenter. So we try to get we try to get people out of prison, especially people who have been in there for a long time, because we have limited resources. So we're, we, you know our annual budget is somewhere between a million and two million dollars. If it was twenty or forty million dollars, you know we could do a lot more than we can right now. So we're, we we have to focus on low hanging fruit and then the really high hanging fruit, like people who have been in prison for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we try to get those folks out. Uh, and then the low-hanging fruit is expungement, um, um, helping people uh, w- w- with clemency. Cleanse- clemency is harder to get. Clemency, clemency basically means a governor or the president pardons you, mm-hmm. and and you have to submit petitions and lots of different appeals and lots of different legal documents in order to do that. And you have to get people in the community to vouch for you, and you have to get. Um, you know, all kinds of things lined up in order to get clemency. So we do a lot of that work, pro bono and and gather the resources to do that work. And then once we get somebody out of prison, our our, our, our reentry program is actually run by people who were in prison.
1: That's uh, what I was gonna ask, like what are the remaining barriers. For entering the cannabis industry specifically, like is that is that how many prisoners, for example, can't touch the plant? Like how depends, uh, most of them, a lot very... of them,
2: a lot of them, because their the terms of their probation may say that, because because the way probation works hasn't caught up with le- with legalization. Again, this is something that Last Prison Project and other groups are trying to close the gap. Okay, but the, mm-hmm. so we pass a legalization law, but we don't pass anything to reform probation. All right, so now everybody's still getting probation as if weed was illegal, but weed's legal now. Okay, so mm. so so you should be able to touch the plant. But the, a lot of the terms of probation say no, you can't because you got convicted for doing that.
1: It's a layer we really don't talk about that much. I think we talk a lot about getting people out and than just social but there's I mean like the la- yeah oh, the layers true. added by probation and just lasting stigma as well and your record and it's yeah, very complicated no, I mean, and we do the, talk about
2: the it really. prison industrial complex and the, and the justice injustice complex um in this country has done a very good job they know how to keep you in prison they know yeah. how to make it very difficult to get out mm-hmm. same thing with Going through the appeal process, when you go through the appeal process, you have more rights because there's this thing called the Constitution that is really hard to take away um, so blatantly. But once you've been convicted and you're in the system, oh, man, then that system has developed layer upon layer upon layer upon layer that you have to go through, even if you're innocent, even if you're innocent of the thing you've been convicted of. Then you, who's second in line is the people who's, it's no longer a crime anymore, like cannabis people. Uh, So you got a whole bunch of innocent people in jail who can't get out right now. And then you got a whole bunch of people in jail for crimes that aren't crimes anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and it's crazy. No one who's innocent should be in jail. And, 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 and nobody who's should be in jail if the crime isn't a crime anymore. It, it should be a pretty much an automatic process in a free society. Mm-hmm. Okay, in a free society, you don't take away freedom lightly, you take it away like really hard. Well, we take away freedom lightly here. How, wh- how hard would it be for you and I to get locked up tonight? It wouldn't be hard. It, it wouldn't be hard. We wouldn't have to do that much to get locked up. We'd have to do a lot more than a person of color perhaps would have to do, um, but, um, but it would not be hard. It's again, it's, it's like cannabis activism, social justice activism. You cannot take your foot off the pedal for a minute. The adversaries are ready to take up that space. They will take up that space. Mm-hmm. Any space you give the adversary in the moment of time that we're living in right now, anything that you give them, they will take that space. So we can't give them anything. And we have to stay on the case, and it's a bummer because I don't really like being a political activist all that much. Um I rather build things and create things, you mm-hmm. know, but you can't build and create in cannabis and if you don't do the activism too. Right. You just cannot
1: well, to bring things full circle, I'm sure listeners hearing all of this talk about equity and policy. There's not much you can do if you don't work in the space other than vote with your dollar. (laughs) Are there any social equity brands or otherwise just really mission driven companies that you would recommend to our listeners as they spark up and and enjoy the rest of their 420 week?
2: Uh, Off the top of my head, Posh Dispensary in in San Francisco, Burners on Hate, um, uh, the pharmacy in Berkeley owned by Sue Taylor, um you've got uh keith is trying to reopen down here in oakland i don't know if keith reopened uh uh, what purple heart um, but that's that's was one in oakland that uh, black owned there's another one in oakland christina de la rosa has her shop in san francisco i forget the name of it So here in the Bay Area, really not hard to find uh, equity um, dispensaries and equity brands. SF Roots is a great uh, equity uh, flower brand. Um, uh, There's one called New Life. That's a wonderful flower brand here in Oakland. Uh, There's... Boy, there's just so many.
1: Congo Uh, Club's one of my favorites because Red Congo is like one of my favorite strains, and they always have it.
2: (laughs) Congo was, um, and that's a great story because Harborside incubated Congo many, Mm -hmm. many years ago, and we 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 helped them grow, and then um, they partnered with so uh, a person of color. And, and took it to the whole next level. And, and, and they've just done a great job. I think it's Amber is, 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 is the one doing that project. And yeah, she, there, yeah. yeah, she's terrific, you know. Um, and we have to support with our dollars, like you said. This is, and, and you know, the weed's better. <laughs> Oftentimes the products are better with the smaller, and it's the legacy people too. It's, it, it's not just equity people, it's a lot of legacy brands. Like Califari we were talking about earlier, or Jetty or um doc greens or blue river or now brother david's from david Bronner um and dr Bronner's soap uh, now uh, we were just talking about garcia's finest from mm-hmm. trixie garcia this is, these are legacy people these are these these are the real deal man trixie garcia's mom was the og grower wrote the first book one of the first book mountain girl wrote um uh and so I want to support those companies with, with my dollars, and I encourage other people. And look, sometimes you're going to be on the road, and sometimes you need a vape pen. Sometimes, you know, the corporate cannabis guys are there for you, and it's great, and spend some money there too, you know. Um, but right now, this moment in time, we're in the corporate cannabis folks are doing pretty good. <laughs> And the underdogs and the the legacy folks and the people of color and the LGBTQ and the women owned and all of our tribe aren't doing as good. So let's try to correct that in the marketplace with our consumer dollars.
1: Totally, totally. And I think that's a pretty good note to end on. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast with me today. And like I said, having me into your home, I really appreciate it. And I hope everybody has a great rest of their 420 week.
2: Have a great 420. Thank you, Veronica.
0: So much for joining us on this week's edition of the sf weekly podcast the episode was produced by me our audio engineer is mike Huganor. veronica Irwin was our guest host and she produced her own segment for more hot takes deep dives and alternative views on san francisco news pick up an issue of sf weekly visit our website at sfweekly.com and subscribe to our podcast on spotify apple google or wherever it is you download your episodes of people yammering on See you next week.